0: First part of the year, we talked about the theological foundations. The second part of the year, we talked about spiritual warfare. And now we are laying the beginning steps of this journey. Two weeks ago, we talked about the need for the journey. We have not really matured in 2,000 years. What was begun in the Spirit has taken the course of being perfected by the flesh. Galatians 3.3, the church has tried to perfect what the Lord gave us, and it can't do it. Last week we talked about 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walking by faith and not by sight. And and the fact that we don't need the power and insight ourselves, what we need is to be hooked to the power and insight. That is, hooked to God. By the way, when we were in staff Monday, got a knock at the door, and uh, somebody was there with a package for me, and so I went out and opened it up. It was red suspenders. For those of you who heard the Tater Wilson story with the Ferrari, the red suspenders hooked on the rearview mirror thing, I've got to get some pants to wear those things now. I had buttons on. I've got to get some pants to wear those things. And he said, here, I, I took these off my car. And I said, your car went out in the parking lot, red Ferrari. It was gorgeous. I said, can I trade you the suspenders for the... Somebody reminded me, though, that the guy with the suspenders was the guy that had the moped, so I guess I'll just hang out for a moped. What I want to do this Sunday is open up the vision when we talk about the future. Open up to its broader context. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the future. When we talk about the future, most of us talk in terms of Years. And most of us talk in terms of the immediate years, what God wants us to do next. But you know what? We will never know what to do next until we have the light of what we were meant for, what we were always meant for. We go and get counsel from those we respect in the Lord, and that's good. And we contemplate what. God may have for us in the next five or ten years, and that's fun. I even gave you some questions in your bulletin to contemplate those kinds of things, because they're fun to talk about, but they are not the central issue of our lives. They seem like the central issue of our lives, but they are not the central issue of our lives. God's calling us to launch out into the deep, to consider more profound questions than that. According to Luke chapter 5 verse 4 Jesus turned one day to Peter and he said Peter, launch out into the deep. He'd been fishing without success. He said, Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. And Peter said, God, I've been doing this for a long time and I've been coming up empty but at your word now the biblical word there is rhema your word at your utterance upon hearing you I will. I'll launch out into the deep. Let me warn you that some of the messages that are going to be coming will not be immediately understood by you. Because we are having a change of context when we go into this kind of preaching. Certainly, preaching is always to help. But in addition to preach to help, I want to preach to haunt. In a good sense of the term. Not in the spiritual evil sense of the term, in the good sense of the term. I want things we can't grasp right away. Now that may sound to you like a disclaimer for not working hard enough to be clear about what I'm talking about. And it probably is, in part. However, there are some deeper issues to consider. For example, what were you made for? What were you made for? Could I say to you something that you probably already know? And it can be a great message of hope to you and a great message of disturbance and probably will be both at the same time. You were not made for this world. You were not made for this world. There was a man some years ago who had served a long stretch of time in prison. And when he had gotten out, he immediately just adjusted to outside life, which was very, very unusual. Because those of you who have known people who have learned, served long terms in prison, you know that the adjustment is huge. When all the decisions are made for you by an institution, by the way, this happens in church too. I know people that, in church, that can't make up their own mind because their church has already, always told them what to think. But when all of your decisions are made for you by an institution, when you get out of that, you, you can't decide. But this man could. Immediately he went, <clears throat> and he began uh, to be an actor. And two years later, he was the star of a Broadway show. And after that show, after the premiere of that show, they interviewed him. And one of the questions was this. How in the world did you adjust so quickly to outside life? And he said this very simply. I never decorated my cell. I never tried to make it seem like home. That was not my home. That was not where I belong. This is where I belong. You know how much time in this life we spend decorating our cell and trying to make it seem like home? You know how much time we try decorating this cell and making it seem like home? The cell that we live in are in our immediate circumstances and making it seem like home? It's not our home. We weren't made for this. We weren't made to live here. Why was the movie, E.T., so tremendously popular? I mean, it had a neat little person in it that was cute and dressed up funny. It had had good humor, it had drama, it had excitement. But do you know what I believe? I believe that the movie was so popular because that alien was like us. It didn't belong in this world. I mean, there were powers... Assigned to him of healing and of resurrection, powers not of this world. This world was a world of combat and it, and it was very apparent that he didn't fit and it was a very apparent that he was homesick. And I think people who saw that movie got homesick too. We were made for this world. We were not made for this world. Look at um, Hebrews chapter 11. I told you we would spend some time this month in Hebrews 11. It's such a wonderful chapter and I will read One verse to you that we read last week, verse 13, but I want to read the three verses after that also. They are so wonderful. All these died in faith, the Bible says, but without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. We talked about that last week, didn't we? And having confessed that they were, look what it says, strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Loosely translated, that means a country where they really belong. Now look at the next verse. And indeed, if indeed they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, look at the word, a heavenly one. Therefore, I love this sentence, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. You know what? We weren't made for this world. And as much progress as we make in this world, it is still not enough. And as much as God blesses us in this world, it is still not enough. Sigmund Freud wrote in his Civilization and Its Discontents. Thank God for honest atheists. He wrote, you know, man has progressed to the point where technologically we can control the world and we have all that we need to live in luxury. We occupy the spots that we used to assign for the gods. And then he asked this question. So why aren't we happy? And then he answered his own question. I don't know. You and I know, don't we? We weren't made for this world. We have a hunger that goes beyond this world. We have we have a desire that goes way beyond whatever we could be offered in this world. It is eternal. It is broader. It is deeper. It is more relational. C.S. Lewis has an argument for the existence of heaven, and it's called an argument by desire. Now, you've heard of the argument for the existence of God by design. This is the argument for the existence of heaven by desire. And he says essentially this. For every natural hunger, there is an answer. Every natural not every manufactured hunger that people try to sell us from the TV, but for every natural hunger. We are hungry for food... Yeah, we are hungry because there is food. We are thirsty because there is drink. We are curious because there is knowledge. We are lonely because there is friendship. For every natural desire, there is an answer. Now let me ask you this question. All of us have a natural desire for more than we have now. I don't know of any happier life I could be living than I am living right now. I love this church. I love the future of this church. I love my family. I don't know how. I I could not have a better family than I have right now. I could not be in a better place than I am right now. But it's not enough. Am I just plain greedy? No, I don't think so. I am very willing to be content. But it's not enough. And the people who come into my office, who have this desire for more, what do you want? They say... I don't know. Jesus asked that question. In John chapter one, verse thirty eight, he says this. He turns around, there are two people following him. And he asked them the question. Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? They didn't give him an answer. They just said, Where are you staying? We want to come be with you. What do you seek? There is something that wants more. See? And the Bible doesn't discourage it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says, Seek, and you will find. That's a present imperative verb. That means keep on seeking until you find. Ask, and it will be answered. Knock, and the door will be opened. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. You see? The Bible doesn't discourage it. Why? Because we weren't made for this place. No matter how good it gets, it will never be enough. St. Augustine, in one of his most famous sermons on the pure love of God, said, if I were to come to you and make a wager, I'm sorry, he paints a picture of God. He says, if God were to come to you and make a wager. Now, usually this wa- wager is made by the other side. I'm in the midst of, of reading Goethe's uh, Faust. And, and the other side, Me- Mephistopheles, the devil, comes and offers everything if in, in return for him. He did the same thing to Jesus. But this time, it's God offering you everything in the world. Everything. He said, if God were to come to you and say to you, I will give you anything you want. Not only will I give you anything you want, I'll give it to you forever. You never have to die. And not only will I give you everything you want forever, but it won't be a sin. Anything you want, I will make it not a sin. I will make it all right. You want money, you've got money. You want power, you've got power. You want love, you've got love. Anything you want in this world is yours and you can live with it forever. Except, you will never see my face. You will never know me, nor my love. Would you take it? I wouldn't. What is there in us that would say, no, no, I wouldn't, because because ultimately that's what I do want to know. I want to love and be loved by the creator of the universe. Why? Because we weren't made for this. And that's the context in which we want spiritual progress, knowing that we weren't made for this world. Some of you are going to pray for Chuck Caldwell. And I think that's great. I have. I've prayed for physical, immediate physical healing. But you know what? If he dies at 30 or he dies at 90, it doesn't matter in the long run. I mean, it matters to us because we'll miss him. But it doesn't matter to him because we weren't made for this. We feel cheated if somebody's not healed. Good heavens, we've missed the point. We weren't made to live here. Let me give you Four roads that people take toward fulfillment in this world. Okay, Four roads to fulfillment through this world. Three of them will get you in trouble. I want to tell you right up front. There was a bus driver on bus number 52, CTA, Chicago Transit Authority. I read this some years ago. He knew his route so well and knew his people so well that he could call them by name. He had been on that route for that long. One day, when he stopped at a a bus stop and opened up, see both doors, the front and and the middle one opened up, he saw three people get on, a man, two men, and a woman. He recognized them immediately. He picked up the little microphone for the bus speaker and said this, Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your valuables. Three pickpockets have just gotten on the bus. Everybody grabbed their wallets, grabbed their purses, and just stared at these people. They got on the front, walked, got off the middle, and went on. Well, I'm going to give you four ways that people try to get through this world, and three of them are pickpockets. Hold on to your valuables here. The first way people try to negotiate fulfillment in this world is to go backwards. There's something about nostalgia that people love. We talked last week about people who are willing to go out on a faith journey until they meet some some of the rough times, and then they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to, the even though they were miserable, they wanted to go back to captivity because it was predictable and it was secure, and at least somebody was taking care of them. Well, let me tell you something even further along the line of what we're talking. There is not only a back-to-Egypt kind of person, there is a back-to-Eden kind of person. They really believe that at some time in their past, if they could just go back there, they would be perfectly contented. They believe that if they could go back and maybe undo a decision they did, or, or take back something they said, then they would be satisfied. Then they would be guilt-free. Or they believe, you know what, this time in my life was the happiest time of my life. I would live there forever. Could I say this to you? No, you wouldn't. You weren't happy when you were there. You had desires when you were there to progress further than that. You see, memory is a very wonderful thing. It blots out all the ugly stuff. A lot of the ugly stuff it blots out. So things back there seem so much better. And so we dream of the day when we were truly happy. Things must not have been all that great in Eden or they wouldn't have eaten the apple, right? Now look, it is very important for us to remember that God did not put us together with our feet pointing backwards. God did not put us together with our eyes pointing backwards. I will not name the part of anatomy that's back there. That's the only thing that points back. Probably shouldn't have done that. Don't... We'll send out other tapes. I don't believe I just did that. You can't go back, and if you could, it wouldn't make you happy. Some of you really need to hear that. A decision that you made that you thought was wrong did not ruin your life something that you said that you wish you could take back has not ruined your life. And if you could go back and live where you were, you would be just as dissatisfied as you are right now. You can't go back and it's God's blessing that you can't go back. And for those of you who want to go back and keep remembering the past, let me give you a scripture to memorize if you would please. Um, It is John chapter or Luke chapter nine verse sixty two. Luke chapter nine verse sixty two. Still can't believe I said that. I'm so glad my wife in here. Don't give her a top copy of this tape, Jim. But Jesus said to him. You're going to, aren't you? I can tell. <laughs> no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me loosely retranslate that in just an accurate of fashion. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is being fitted for the kingdom of God. You can't keep looking back. It's a pickpocket. It'll steal all of your valuables. Secondly, there are people who say, I don't want to go back. I remember what it was like in junior high school. I wouldn't live through that for all the tea in China, for crying out loud. I know better than that. I just want to get out. I don't want to go through the rest of my life. I'm in a considerable amount of pain, and I would just like to escape. This is the line of Eastern religions. They believe that time is maya, an illusion. And they want to go toward nirvana, some undifferentiated future, whereby they can escape all the desires and all of the temptations and all of the disappointments of the present. Now, if you're not an Eastern meditator, if you're a Western person, you do this one of two ways. Those who are desperate sometimes commit suicide. They just say, I, I just want out. I don't want to go through time. I just want out. So they commit suicide. The rest of us mesmerize ourselves in front of an idiot box. That's our form of meditation. Just lose ourselves. Program after program. Click, 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 click. We're not, we're not connecting with anything else anymore. We're just in an undifferentiated state. We don't remember anything. We're just amusing ourselves without thought, amusement. It's the same difference. I just want out, I want to escape. I want a new drug. See? I've got a scripture for you to memorize. If you're a person who just wants out, John 17:15, this is Jesus' prayer to the Father, about his disciples. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. It is not God's will that you escape from this world. If it is, he'll take you out. You don't need to do that yourself. If you're here, you're here for a purpose. And if you're not gone yet, he's got something left for you. I do not ask thee that thou takest them out of the world. Then the third one is, go through time and create a heaven on earth. Go through time and create a heaven on earth. This is probably the most tempting one, because we love to believe it. There are idealists among us, I am one. There are romantics among us, I am one. And it is very easy for us to begin to believe that if we just do this, then life will be alright. If I could find the right relationships, my life would be heaven on earth. If I could earn enough money, my life would be heaven on earth. If I could learn and become a profound thinker, my life would be heaven on earth. If the world were only like this, my life would be heaven on earth. There is no such thing as heaven on earth. That is never possible. That's heaven. This is earth. Never the twain shall meet. There are more despots who are elected by promising heaven on earth than by any other method. That's, by the way, how politicians get elected. You elect me, I'll make your life heaven on earth. I mean, that's what they imply. Remember Hitler? We'll build a master race. We'll get this thing in order. Marx did the same thing. We will get this thing in order. I will promise you heaven on earth. Oh Lord, if you'd only give me somebody to love me for who I am, it'd be heaven on earth. I'd never want for another thing. That's a lie. When God gives you who you want, you still want this stuff. It's not that you don't appreciate it. It's not that you don't feel blessed. And it sure is better being loved than not loved. But it's not heaven on earth. And it never will be. We weren't made just for that. Let me give you a scripture to memorize. If you're one of those people that keeps believing that there's such a thing as heaven on earth, and someday, if I could just win the lottery, boy, it would be heaven on earth. John 18:36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Memorize that. My kingdom is not of this world. Of this world. There will never be a time in your life where you will be perfectly contented and not desiring anything else because you weren't meant for this world. Even if you are the most mature Christian, what you will realize is that your desire is still to be with the Father fully. That's what we were made for. St. Augustine prayed. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Well, let me give you what is the biblical path toward fulfillment. And that is to go through time to eternity. Now, you've got to realize we weren't made for time, and that's why we're so irritated with time. I I have yet to hear someone say a kind word about time. Every time I hear somebody talk, they're mad at time. I can't believe you're grown up already. Where did the time go? I don't have enough time. There's 24 hours. I need 48 hours in a day. I'm I'm rushed here. I'm rushed there. Time really gets away from you, doesn't it? Boy, I'll tell you. Seems like only yesterday, Wilbur. Everybody's mad at time. Why? Because you weren't made for time. The fish get mad at water? Nah. The birds get mad at air? We get mad at time, though, don't we? We weren't made for time. We were made for eternity. But we've got to go through time to eternity. We've got to aim beyond time. When I was in seminary, I took karate for about a mm, month and a half. <laughs> then I decided if I got mad at somebody, i shoot him. You know, a lot easier. Didn't sweat as much. No, I... One of the things that I learned, though, in that karate business was that the way that you got the most power was to not aim at the target, but to aim through the target. That's how you ensured you were delivering the most powerful blow. Don't aim at stopping at the target. Aim through the target. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 is all about, the rewards in heaven. See. We don't just get and sit on top of our tombstone and look back and say, how to do. We go to the Lord and we say, how to do. See? We aim through the target to heaven. Therefore, let me give you a scripture. Acts chapter 14 verse 22. This is great. I love this scripture. Entering the souls of the disciples. or I'm sorry. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. See? Go on this journey. And saying, Through many tribulations, We must enter the kingdom of God. See? We don't escape anything here. We go through it. But we don't stop with it and think... That our life depends on what college we go to or what job we get or what relationship we have or whatever. See? All of those are important choices, but they are not ultimate choices. And until you know the ultimate choice, you can't properly make the important choice. One more point. Hang with me on this. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's just dwell on this scripture for a minute. This is such a rich scripture. 2 Corinthians 3.18. I love this. It's one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. It is important when we consider what we were made for, and that's heaven, and we know that's what we're aiming for, that we not stand around and stare at it. I've seen Christians that were absolutely catatonic. Heaven. God. They turn into Easterners. That's all they meditate on. You've heard the expression, so heavenly minded they're no earthly good? It's from looking at the glory of God every day. And that's all they look at. Now watch what this verse says. But we all, with unveiled face... Now what this means is, when you have an unveiled face... It means you're, you're, you've you've had the uh, the natural man taken away. You're, you've had the uh, uh, the what? What's the word for? Huh? Carnal. Thank you, carnal man. Okay, I, I thought he said Arnold, and I was thinking <laughs> you've had Arnold taken away. See, you, Arnold. Okay, take that mail with you. <laughs> I was thinking that bodybuilding championship, Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's still in my mind. Okay. Yeah. You see what is really important. Your face is unveiled. We, you know, then face to face. You know that scripture. Now we know in a mirror, then face to face. Now watch. When you're looking on what's ultimately important, you don't look directly at it. Look what it says. Look at what it says. It says, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Now watch this, it's very important. You know that every time we have an eclipse, every few years or some years we'll have an eclipse, what do all the news people say? Don't stare at the sun! You know? And still there's a few boobs that go out and put sun going, you know? And they go, oh, I can't see! Oh, man. How are you supposed to look at an eclipse? Well, you build a little box, don't you? And then you can watch the, the moon move between the earth and the sun. And you can watch this, Or the earth moves between the sun. I don't know how it goes. Anyhow, you look at it as it is reflected. And then you can see what's going on. Don't you think that the glory of the Lord is as bright spiritually as the sun is physically? To stand around and just look into the glory of the Lord, that's going to blind you. What God wants us to do is to see His glory reflected in the things on the earth. We don't look to the light, we look by the light. You don't look at a light, you look, you see, because of the light. And that is what's important. We don't stand around and wish for heaven. We see the implications of living like we are in the light of heaven. We live in the light of heaven. We see God reflected in in our thoughts and in our relationships and in all of the circumstances of our life we begin to see how he's moving. Not by looking directly at him but by seeing his reflection in the world. That's the good it does. And secondly as that happens look at this. I love this part. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from in, the, in King James it says, from one degree of glory to another. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What happens? Instead of building heaven on earth, heaven starts to come in our lives. See, Christ didn't come just to get us into heaven. He came to get heaven into us. That's the thing. And then, heaven comes in part. In part. That's all you got to worry about is just the part. The part of your life that's being transformed. That's your responsibility. Yesterday I was goofing off at the house and we just have a lot of fun at the house and and I was doing some crazy stuff and, and I have a 10-year-old kid who just kind of gets embarrassed at his dad because if you're an adult, you ought to act like an adult. You know? Don't be goofing off with me. That's for kids. Adults is for serious stuff. So anyhow, I'm goofing off and he's getting embarrassed and and uh, finally, he looked at, he turned to his mother, and says, "I don't know what you see in him." <laughs> I think he was kidding. I hope he was kidding. Those those words rang in my ears, though. You know, because I've asked myself that a lot. I don't know what she sees in me. I don't. But I do know this: I know what I want her to see in me. I know what I want him. To see in me. And that's the glory of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the sweet emptiness of this life. Thank you that you will not let us be fully content. Thank you that we do not have to escape the world before we can see your goal, but we do not have to look for satisfaction in circumstances or relationships because it would be a discouraging journey indeed. Give us the eyes to look by the light of heaven what you are doing in this world so that we can read how things are going. And then God, in the life of Jesus Christ, who lives in us, transform us from one degree of glory to another. Lord, if there's anybody in here who does not know you personally, hasn't the foggiest notion of what we're talking about, but would love to begin to see the world through the eyes of faith, to transform from the natural man to the spiritual, to understand the things that are in your word. Let them invite Christ into their lives so that they can see with his eyes and read with his spirit. Let them right now admit that they've lived apart from you very willingly, but there's a voice in them that doesn't want that anymore. You've been speaking to them. And you have given given them an excruciating hunger to know you and to come and be with you and to see what you can see. Let them right now invite Jesus into their lives, letting him be the payment for their sins and him be the Lord of their future. And for all of us, Lord Jesus, help us again to follow you, the author and perfecter of our faith, clear to heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen.